I'm pulling out of the driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for the drive to work. Okay, so today I'm going to talk all about double face cards. Um, it is something, basically I feel that it is, it's more so than a mechanic. In fact, it, it's, it's larger than a single mechanic. It's a tool is what I will describe it as. Uh, and so what I mean by this, when I say double face cards, let me explain exactly. I'm going to talk about cards today in which both sides of the card have something on them other than there's no back, per se, that the back of the card has a, a face on it. Uh, so when I say double face cards, I mean both sides have a face on it. Um, from rules purposes, I think we define with double face cards. So I'm going to talk, uh, I'm going to talk today about all the cards that have things on both sides. Uh, a few of them might technically not be double face cards from a strictly rule standpoint, but from my standpoint of thinking of the resource of being able to print on the back. That's what I'm talking about today. So today is the history of where that came from and then sort of the evolution of how we've used it and a little bit of talk about where it's going. Okay. So the origin of double face cards actually doesn't start with magic. It starts with a different game. So we make another trading card game at Wizards of the Coast called um, Duel Masters. Uh, it is a game that I and four other people designed many years ago for the Japanese market. Uh, and it is sold, uh, right now it's sold only the Japanese market. We, we have brought it to the U.S. a couple times. It never really took off in the U.S., but it is very popular in Japan. Um, the trading card, trading card games are very, very popular in Japan. There's a lot of them. Uh, here in you know, the United States, you know, we have, um, there's some. Uh, I'm not saying there's none, but it, it's a lot less. Where in Japan, they became quite the thing, especially with kids, and there's just a lot of them. So uh, we decided that we wanted to make one for the Japanese market, uh, and we made a brand new game called Duel Masters. Uh, I think I did a podcast on Duel Masters specifically. But anyway, um, so one of the things about the market is there are a lot of competition, there's a lot of trading card games, and it's marketed mostly at younger, at younger kids. And so they're always looking for exciting things, how to differentiate yourself. And so at some point they realized that they could print on both sides of the card, that they could make cards in which it didn't have a back. Um, now, the way the Duel Masters did this is they had a separate zone. Um, so the idea was you didn't put the double face cards in your deck, you put them in the special zone, and then cards in your deck got them out of the zone. That's how it worked in Duel Masters. Okay, so anyway, Duel Masters had made this. It was a thing. It was relatively popular. Okay, so now we come to, to Magic. So we are working on Innistrad, uh, and one of the goals of Innistrad that I laid out was we were doing a lot of horror tropes, but the one thing that we were doing that Magic hadn't done much of was werewolves. And I think at that point there had been two or three werewolves. There had been very few werewolves up to that point, and none of them were, were at all memorable. Uh, we had not really done a good werewolf. And so one of the things I said to the team was, okay, like, part of the key to us succeeding is, I just want to make an awesome werewolf. I want to make a werewolf, you go, that, that's a werewolf. And so I gave the, the team the challenge of coming up with the best way to do werewolves. Um, and we came up with a bunch of ideas. I came up with an idea that's kind of the precursor to day-night. Um, Richard had an idea, but um, Tom Lapilli, uh had worked on Duel Masters, and he had seen the double face cards. And he's like, well, what if... We use the double face card, so one side could be the human, and one side could be the werewolf, and you could change back and forth. 
Now, we tried a bunch of different things. We tried my day-night thing. We tried, I don't remember how Richard's thing worked. We tried, a bunch of people had ideas we tried. Um, and so we tried, we tried Tom's. Um, and I'll admit, the first time, I was, a bit, I was a bit skeptical. I'm like, wow, this is, you know, this is pr- a pretty big departure. Magic had never not had a back. But um, one of my rules in design is try things. Don't, don't worry about the practicality. That the earliest playtest is about, is it fun? Like, do we like it? Because um, one of the things, if you start worrying about practicality, you just eliminate things. And this way, you get stuff that, like, um, you, you, you try things. Because even if you really like something, you, you always can adapt it and stuff. And so I don't like limitations to stop me early design. I want to try things. Let me find cool things. And so, like, okay, Tom suggested that. Let's try it. And it was fun. It was very fun. Um, and it was by far... Uh, I mean, it, it was fun, it was exciting, and there's something really dynamic about having. So the original plan was we were following in Duel Master's uh, shoes. We were going to make one-sided cards that went into your deck, and then when you cast that one-sided card, it went and got the double-sided card um, from outside the game and put them on the battlefield, um, s- similar to how Duel Masters had done it. The problem we ran into was, at the time, the way our, our printers... I think we went to our printers and said, okay, we want these two cards to appear together because one card fetches the other card, so they need to appear together. And I think what they said is they could guarantee us a 90% rate, meaning 90% of the time when you got the one card, you'd get the other card. But 90% wasn't good enough for us. Like, we, we needed to be really, really close to 100%. Um, and so we started looking at other options. One of the options is... Just, we did some research, and what we found was 90, I don't know, like 94% of people playing constructed magic played with sleeves. Um, so I said, okay, well, maybe we could, you know, most people probably could just play, we could just give them the double face card. And, and we said, okay, well, most people will play with sleeves. And then we came up with the idea of the checklist card. Well, if they're not playing sleeves, we'll make a card that has all the names of the cards on it, and you can check off the card you're playing. And you can use that as a one-sided, um, you know, uh, signifier of that card. And that, that's how you could play with it if you didn't have sleeves. Um, anyway, and we, we, by the way, we would later change that to something where you write in the thing rather than do checkoffs. Um, that, that ended up being a little more pretty to look at. But anyway, so, okay. So I, what happens is when I think I have something I want to do then I know is kind of bigger than design. And what I mean by that is we were at, we wanted to do something that involved, for example, printing. Like, printing on both sides was, I mean, Duel Masters had done it. it. Like, we knew it was possible. Like, we knew printers could do it. But I, I knew that once I was interested in doing it, I needed to sort of let Aaron, my boss, and other people know, like, hey, I'm seriously interested in doing this. And trying to get other people, like, it was a bigger problem than just, like, a lot of times, like, oh, we got to solve this, but it's all magic and rules and editing, like, sort of R&D could solve the problem. But this was bigger than that. We had to get a production involved. Like, there were larger issues at hand. And like I said, it wasn't that we didn't know we could do it because Dual Mattress had done it. But what did it mean for magic? Like, there's things magic had done. It was making magic change things about how magic functioned. And it wasn't that the printer couldn't print it, but what problems would it cause for us and our production and the way we make magic cards? That, that was one of the big issues we had to think about. Um, so, 
pretty early on. Um, so design used to be a year long. Uh, this is before we got to vision design and set design, play design. Um, so when it was design and development, design was a year long. So I would say maybe um, four or five months in, uh, I think we started design in like September and like February, so maybe it's six months in, five, six months in. Um, I go to Aaron and say, okay, Aaron, I'm, I'm convinced we want to do this. Now, at the time, we had the single-sided car to fetch the double-sided car. That's what we first went to him with. Um, we then found out that, okay, we, they can't print them next to each other, so we ended up with the double-faced card. Um, but we had to go through a bunch of rigmarole to sort of figure out how to do it. Uh, everybody, like, so um, on the printing side, they, like, once again, it was a doable thing. They just had to figure out how to change things. And uh, the other thing that's important to remember about Magic is... When you're a game that makes, a, you know, an expansion every, or a product, you know, every month, every other month, like when you're constantly churning things out, you have a well-ordered system. You know, a lot of things are automated. You have a lot of things to allow you to sort of consistently put something out. Um, so when you do something different, it can really change things. It can really uh, cause a lot of issues that you might not even think about. Not because it's not a thing that can be done. It's just not the way it's normally done. And that can, you know, um, it, it can cause some complications. So anyway, we got in there, we talked, we learned that, okay, we need to just make double-faced cards. We came up with the idea of checklist cards. Uh, okay, so we, we, think we, we think we got it figured out. We think we know how we're going to do it. Um, production signs off. We, we can make it. We can, you know, we physically can produce it. Um, and then what starts happening is we start getting some feedback from other people in R&D and a little bit elsewhere on the company, but mostly from R&D of, okay, are we supposed to be doing this? Like this is, I know, for example, Eric had taken over uh, for development. So I had handed off design and they were in development. Um, we had talked to production during design because I was making sure we could do it. But anyway, we, I handed off to Eric and Eric starts getting people saying, this isn't the thing we should do. You're breaking a rule we shouldn't break. The back is an important thing. Um, now you're making people play with sleeves. Uh, there's logistical issues. Lots and lots of issues that came up. Um, and there were some die-hard people in, in the pit who were like, this is not something we should be making. We are crossing a line we should not cross. Um, and Eric got a lot of pushback. Um, so I remember uh, uh, Eric comes to me and says... I'm not sure what I should be doing here. I, I know you believe in it. I know this is your vision. I know this is what you want. Um, but I'm getting a lot of pushback from people that think we are making a mistake. And so I say, Eric, we are not making a mistake. This is the right thing to do. You know, hold, hold, hold strong. So I ended up going to Aaron, and I talked to Aaron. I said, Aaron, look, th this is the, it's the right thing. We're doing something cool. I think the players are going to like it. I understand it's different. I understand it's pushing in a place we haven't gone before. But... You know, look, magic is all about us pushing boundaries and trying new things. And Duel Masters did this. It was very successful in Duel Masters. You know, we, we, like, maybe we try this and it's a bomb and we never do it again, but we should try it, you know. And, I, and the funny thing is at the time I said, I go, look, if it's successful, this opens up a whole new avenue for us. There's a whole sl uh, slew of design space. Because, by the way, at the time we had made 
the original ones, we had figured out other ways to use it, like modal, modal double face cards, which I'll talk about later. Like we had figured out we could do that. Like I knew from the very first of making the cards, once we started start down that path, it was clear there was a lot of space for a lot of other things going on. So anyway, I go to Aaron. I say, Aaron, 100% we should do this. Um, Aaron goes to, um, to Eric and says, we're doing it. Just whoever, whoever bugs you, send them to me. We're doing it. Uh, so anyway, it ends up, we finally signed off on it. We're doing it. We print it. Okay, so my next favorite story of the Double Face Cards is we're at the party. So uh, for, for years at PAX, which is a, a game convention in Los Angeles, not Los Angeles, in Seattle, um, that we would uh, hold a party where we would premiere the upcoming set. And so we had a party for Industrad. And the whole room's decked out and flavored like you know, gothic horror and this and that. And at one point, we're having a big reveal. And we do the big reveal. We, show, we have this magic card that is like, I don't know, four to six feet large. Like a lot, pretty big magic card, right? A giant magic card. Uh, maybe it's like six feet. A giant magic card. It's very big, very tall. And then um, we, like, so like the music comes on. And like the the card is covered, and a spotlight goes on the card, and the card reveals, and I think it's the the vampire that turns into a bat. I think um, we reveal the vampire, and then like music happens, and the card rotates, and you see the back, and it's a bat, and we're like, ha ha, a double face card, and the audience had no idea what we were doing. They're like, oh, that first card, okay, that's interesting. Oh, you're showing us a second card, okay, that's interesting. Like, no one understood that we were showing you a singular card because the idea was such a crazy idea that, like, even though we physically showed a card and showed it rotating and it was on the back, no one said, well, that, you know, oh, they're just showing us multiple cards and one was on the back of the other. Like, no one got the idea. And I remember I had a copy of the card with me um, because I, I actually predicted this could be a problem. And so I remember talking to people, like reporters and different people, and like showing them the card. I'm like, see, here's the card. This is on the front, and this is on the back. And like, I remember the, the dawning of like, oh, there's something on the back. Like people were like, like it was, it was such a crazy idea that people couldn't fathom that's what we were doing. And when I told them, they were very excited. It was a very exciting idea, but it definitely was something that was sort of like, um... It was, nowadays we make a lot of double-faced cards. Maybe it doesn't seem quite as shocking. But in its day, at its time, it was uh, quite revolutionary. Um, so anyway, we make them in Innistrad and we make them in Dark Ascension. So the original ones we make are the, are the um, transforming double-faced cards, as we call them now. At the time, they were just double-faced cards. But, um, so what that means is you cast the front side and then you do something to get to the back side. Um, for the werewolves, we came up, we didn't name it, but the werewolves basically had the, the early version of Day-Night, which was, um, you know, at the at beginning of the turn, if on the last turn uh, you cast no spells, they became the werewolf, and if you cast two or more spells, they became, um, they became, and, and the idea, the way it worked was, it looked at the last player's turn whether they did that. Um, but anyway, we made the werewolves, we made a bunch of other cards, you know, we made the the, the Oh, the reason, by the way, that I, I really fell in love with the double-faced cards is the realization of how much tran- dark transformation meant to horror. Oh, it's an innocent girl. Now she's turned into a demon. Or, you know, she's possessed by a demon. Or it's a vampire that turns into a bat. Or it's, you know, we, we are, it's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Like, we realized all these cool transformational things. Uh, and so we did that. It came out huge hit. Everybody loved it. I mean, not, not, sorry, not everybody loved it. 90% of the audience loved it. 
10%, hated it, hated it with a passion. So there, there, there's an audience, there was a small portion of the audience, but there was a loud part of the audience that really, really, really did not, really did not like them. Um, much akin to I, I kind of what happened behind at Wizards is most of us liked it, but a few people really didn't like it. The same happened with players. But, uh, and the funny thing was, so Innistrad Dark Ascension, uh, Avacyn Restored was the third set in block. We purposely did not do double-faced cards in that set because there was nervousness about it and we're like, well, we're doing new mechanics in that set. We don't need to do it. We're not going to, because like, there was enough worry about it that we didn't do them. And then ironically, the number one complaint, the number one complaint about Avacyn Restored is where of a double-faced card. So, um, so anyway, they go over pretty well. So next, Magic Origins. I remember Sean Main, who was the lead designer uh, for Magic Origins, came to me and said, I have a neat idea, but I just want to know whether it's something we can do. And he talked about having planeswalkers that are the legendary creatures on the front, and they turn into their planeswalker. Because we were trying to show the origin story of the five, the, the, the five main members of the Gatewatch, the beginning members of the Gatewatch, although... Liliana joined shortly after the other four. But anyway, we wanted to show those five. And so he said, look, the, the coolest way to show sort of before and after is show a legendary creature card and have it turn into a planeswalker. And um, I said, absolutely. I go, that's an ex- awesome ex- execution. You know, there's no way to do, like, nothing we could do would be nearly as awesome as that. Uh, and so we did it. Um, so th- in Innistrad and Dark Ascension, there was a slot dedicated to the double-faced card. So Magic Origins, for the first time, had double-faced cards that were there, but not every pack had a double-faced card. They were rare, or mythic rare, but they were, they were, I assume they were mythic rare. Um, so anyway, but they were, they were a huge hit. People were, and to this day, people keep asking us to do more of them. They really like them. Okay, next, uh, the next time we do double-faced cards is not till we return to Innistrad. So Shadows over Innistrad, um... So basically, Shadows of Innistrad did what we had done in um, Innistrad. Uh, I think we changed the rules so the mana value of the back matched the mana value of the front. Uh, and the other thing we changed was we put more in per pack. I think we put one per pack in Innistrad, and it was like one and a half per pack, I think, in Shadow. It was more than one per pack. I don't think it was two. I don't think it was two. But it was, more, it was, it was somewhere between 1.5 and two. My, my memory is 1.5, but it might, it might have been. It changed a bit. Um, and then Eldritch Moon, which was the second set in the Return, uh, did something brand new with double face cards, Meld. So we had been trying to do a mechanic where you took uh, cards and put them together. I made a card in Unglued called BFM, Big Furry Monster, that it had a left side and a right side. And you had to cast, both had to be in your hand, and you cast them together, and they entered the battlefield as a singular giant 99.99 card. Biggest thing ever. Um, and we've been trying to do something of that kind. Uh, and I know in like New Phyrexia, we had cards that, like snap together and we, we tried a whole bunch of things. Finally, I think, I think it was Ken Nagel that figured out, oh, one of the ways we could do that is if the front are normal cards and the backs are the left half and the right half, when both are in play, they can transform and snap together, basically. Um, and once again, by the way, uh, I, I don't know if they technically transform. I, I, same as with the Planeswalkers. Um, transform means it stays in play and it changes its state. Sometimes what we do is we have it leave the battlefield and come back as the other side. 
which is a little bit different in how it how the rules interact with it, and so it's not technically transforming. The planeswalkers weren't technically transforming. I don't think mutate is technically transforming. Um, or not mutate, sorry, meld, meld, meld. Uh, meld technically transforming. Um, but anyway, we introduced, and also, uh, like the, for the first time, I think we had werewolves that started as werewolves and turned into Eldrazi, so we did something a little bit different with the werewolves. Um, and it's a good example. One of the things we started realizing with the double face cards was there's a lot of flavor that came from them. The fact that you saw two different um, two different pieces of art and two different sides meant you really got to tell a story. That was kind of cool. Okay, so next up is Ixalan. Ixalan realizes that they're trying to do something kind of cool. There's a, the, this exploration theme that's going on. So they come up with the idea of double face cards where the backside is a land. And because you had to jump through a hoop to get there, we could do very sexy lands. Like, we did a land that's basically gay as a cradle, which is a very overpowered land. And so the idea is, through different means, you can come and find something, and that leads you to this, this legend. I think they're all legendary lands. Um, and once again, they were at higher rarities. They weren't one, one per pack. Uh, we had learned from Magic Origins how to do this. Um, but anyway, I think Ixalan's a good example where we start realizing in Magic Origins too, where, hey, maybe we have a cool thing to do with the double-faced cards that are not a major, they're not a huge part of the set, but there's a splashy part of the set, that are a cool part of the set, that we're willing to dedicate some space to do that. And so obviously we did that with Ixalan. Next up is Core 2019. Uh, that has one double-faced card. I think that's the only set that has one double-faced card. And Nicole Bolas, the Ravager, which was, um, it was a set themed on Nicole Bolas. A corset, and so we decided to give uh, uh, a bolus. Here's the legendary creature before he's a planeswalker, and he turns into a planeswalker. Um, and that was be aware. Whenever we do double face cards, we have to make a dedicated sheet to double face cards. So doing one meant there was an entire sheet that all it had on it was uh, Nicole Bolas. So, and same with like we do the planeswalker. So, if it's a major part, like it's something that we can do, we like. As you'll see, as we go along with double face cards, we just kind of learn they're very flexible and there's a lot of different things we can do with them. And so um, it is something we're always wondering. But we, we, we have the technology now. We can do a lot. We can do a little. There's a cost associated with it. So if it's a little, it really, really has to be of huge value to the set. It, just to do it, just to do it is not something we would do. Okay, so next up is Zendikar Rising. So way, way back when we first made the cards in Innistrad, we realized that there, were, there was other ways to do them. So Myrtle Double Face cards say, hey, I, I transforming, you play the front side, and it can turn to the back side, sometimes back to the front side. Myrtle is, look, you play the back, you play the front, and it's not the other, and that's what it is. It just, it's kind of like a split card, um, except that split cards can't do permanence. And split cards have a much smaller space because it's half a card, so you have to do very simple effects. Um, Modal double face cards allow us to have a lot more flexibility. And I realized when I was playing around with them that there was so much space in them that I spread them out across a whole magic year. So Zendikar Rising had land on the back. Um, different things on the front, but always a land on the back. Um, and I think all the lands at uh, below rare uh, tap for one color and they enter colorless. And then the, the rare, mythic rare ones, uh, you could, you, you lost life, I think, when they entered, but they entered untapped. Um, anyway, so then in Kaldheim, we used them to represent the gods. So the front side was always a god, a legendary creature that's a god. Um, and the back side was something else legendary. 
It could be an artifact. It could be an enchantment. It could be a creature. It could be a planeswalker. Um, it could be all sorts of things. So the idea being, they were all things that were associated with it. Like, you know, the, the all-seeing father of the gods had his raven, and the keeper of the bridge had the, the, the prismatic bridge, and, um, and, you know, the god who's known for his hammer has his hammer, stuff like that. Um, and then we got to uh, Strixhaven. Strixhaven originally was going to be spells on the back, but then we realized that adventures had gotten made in the Throne of Eldraine, and they were kind of close to that. So mostly what we did in Strixhaven is played up the oppositeness, and like we had the deans, and we had different things that represented the conflict of the two sides. I think we did make a mistake on the deans that they're too complicated, that the cards didn't relate to each other. Like the version we had turned over, they were opposite, they were opposite, but they, they were correlated to each other in a way that the finished product wasn't. I think they were trying to make them more friendly for Commander, but they ended up being a little too much. We did learn that there's limits how much information you can put on both sides. That just because it fit doesn't mean that that was okay. Um, then Midnight Hunt Crimson Vow. So Innistrad Midnight Hunt and Innistrad Crimson Vow. Um, so both those sets were, were our third return to Innistrad. Uh, those mostly did what we had done before. Uh, the two big differences is we had the day-night mechanic. So there's this external mechanic that could dictate changing size and things. So that was a little bit new. And we had the disturbed mechanic. There's a mechanic that you could play it out of the graveyard as the opposite side. So like Meld, like one of the things you're seeing is not only are we doing double-faced cards, but as we evolve, we're finding new ways to use them, like modal double-faced cards. We're finding mechanics that work within them. So like Meld and Disturb are both like mechanics that kind of only work on a double-faced card. So like I said, double-faced cards are bigger than mechanics. They're a tool. And now there are mechanics that work specifically because like we can't do them without double-faced cards. Um, then we get to Neon Dynasty. So in Neon Dynasty, we had these sagas that turned into creatures. Uh, in fact, when I turned over the file, I had them as single-faced cards, and I made a note that said, look, these can be done as double-faced cards, but we're doing a lot of double-faced cards. Do we want these to be double-faced cards? Uh, set design looked into it, and they were just so much cooler as double-faced cards. It allowed them to have the creature do more on the backside. Like, one of the challenging of double-faced cards is, from a game design standpoint, they are so attractive. Uh, they allow you to do a lot of things design-wise that you can't do on a single side. Creatively, they let you tell a much more inclusive, uh, comprehensive story, you know, because you get two pieces of art and you get transitions so something happens. Um, so Neon Dynasty ended up doing them as double-faced cards. So we, we did have quite the run there uh, from Zendikar through Neon Dynasty. Seven sets in a row had double-faced cards. Um, so what is the future of double-faced cards? Uh, the future is bright for double-faced cards. They become, like I said, uh, one of the goals for me as the head designer is I'm supposed to find new tools for us to use. I want to go out and find things we've never done before that not only lets us do something, but has a lot of space in it, right? I want to find things that let us have infinite new space. And double-faced cards have been one of the deepest wells uh, that I have discovered um, once again, Dual Master created it, so we, 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 we got it from Dual Masters. But as far as bringing it to magic, it's one of the things that has had uh, proven to be very, very deep. In fact, one of the running jokes is that we do transitional things all the time in magic. That there's a lot of things that are single-sided that could be double-faced. Like Monstrosity uh, is a good example, right? 
Like, you have a creature and it turns into a different creature on the back. Now, we use plus one, plus one counters to mark and this and that, but, like, that could just be the other creatures on the back that Mantra just turns into the other creature. Um, same with the Dap, which is a version of Mantra. So, the like, there's a lot of things we do that could be double-faced cards. And so, one of the things now that's happening is almost every set we're like, okay, this thing that could be a double-faced card, is it supposed to be a double-faced card? And, I mean, it's something we're really trying to figure out. Like, clearly there's things that can't be done without it. There's some mechanics like meld or disturb that, like, you really can't do it without the double-faced card. So if you're going to do meld, you have to have double-faced cards. Um, So sometimes it's like we want to do something and, like, okay, the nature of what we're doing can't be done not on double-faced cards. So clearly in those cases, if we want to do them, there'll be double-faced cards. The trickier thing is, like, in Neon Dynasty where, you know what, we probably could do it as a single side. Uh, it would limit kind of what we can do and restrict our design space. Like, for example, if we had done the Saga creatures as single-face cards, it would have had a, we'd have had to simplify what the creatures could be, right? The backside of the creature. So could we make Kiki-Jiki? Maybe not. Maybe that wouldn't have fit. Maybe we could just, like, make French vanilla things. So, like, um, there are limitations when we don't do it. Um, so one of the things whenever we can do it single-sided, single-face, we have to sort of ask ourselves, like, what are we gaining? Is it worth it? And look at the set. And, and, and one of the things we do understand is that double-faced cards come with uh, an honest-to-God logistical issue that we shouldn't ignore. Just because a lot of people play with uh, sleeves does not mean that everybody plays with sleeves. There are a lot of people that don't play with sleeves. And so, you know, and even if we say something like 94% of you know, in, in Constructed uh, play with sleeves, that's 6% that don't. 6% of Magic players is a lot of Magic players. Uh, and, um, you know, and that's not even kind of limited, which is a, it's a, whole, a whole different issue of people playing. So um, it is something that we're very cautious of. Like I said, the, the, the reason if someone said to me, we can never do double-faced cards again, I'd be sad because there's a lot of really cool things we can do with them. And, I mean, you guys have just seen some of the things we can do with them. There's a bunch more things we can do with them. I've explored the space, and and I'm continuing to explore the space. One of the things that's interesting about them is we keep discovering kind of new ways to use them in ways we hadn't thought of before. And so I do think the double-edged cards are a a really interesting vein. I I get it comes with a cost. I, I do get that having seven sets in a row was a bit much. That wasn't, or not seven sets in a row, sorry. Six out of seven sets in a row, because uh, Dungeon Dragons didn't have them. But uh, six out of seven is a lot, especially in the standard, having six sets in standard. Is that right, seven? No, six, six, six. I did count. Okay. Um, anyway, it is something that we have to be careful with. Uh, ironically, one of the things that I've become is I'm the one that keeps asking, does it have to be double-faced cards? That's what, like, I'm the one in, in Neon Dynasty that said, does it have to be? Can we do it without it? Uh, and so I'm really challenging about when it needs to be and when it doesn't need to be. Um, it's always kind of cooler with double-faced cards creatively, and it allows us a little more flexibility. Um, but we do want to be careful. Like, it does come out of cost. We do understand that. Um, but it also frees us up to do cool new things. So, like, we, we will see more double-faced cards. It is something we're going to do. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't think we'll... I don't know we'll have quite as many, quite as often as we did for the last two years. But uh, it, it is something we will do again. You will see more of them. They will be part of sets. Um, it is something that does add a lot to magic. And the survey, just so people are aware, while there are a small percentage of people that don't like them, they are wildly popular. People as a whole really, really do like them. And um, even the naysayers, some of them have come around over time because we've done a lot of cool things with them. Um, 
I remember there's some people when we made modal double face cards that wrote to me and said, I've never been a fan of double face cards, but I love modal double face cards, so I guess I like them now. So I have some of that. So anyway, uh, so that is the history of double face cards. And there's a lot of cool stuff we've done. And it was, it was an interesting task uh, or an interesting uh, adventure getting them made and then uh, along the way. So anyway, guys, I'm now at work. So we all know what that means. It means this is the end of my drive to work. So instead of talking magic, it's time for me to be making magic. I'll see you guys next time. Bye-bye.